When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Halo universe is filled with wonder, mystery, and fascinating discoveries around every corner. With so much to explore, four friends decided it was about time that they boot up the consoles and discuss this universe that has grabbed their attention since childhood. Jumperscape Audio kindly welcomes you to join them in the library. Everyone, welcome back to the library, the show where we talk about Halo lore and vaguely know what we're talking about. So, today we're going to be talking about the arcs because, of course, last week we talked about the Halos, and the Halos did not come out of thin air, although Forerunner construction is sometimes like that. They came from arcs because, I don't know, they just kind of invented these words, I guess, at the time, and they decided that arc made the most sense. So, uh, join me, joining me once again, like every other week, it's not like it's unexpected by now, is my good friends, Bryant, Shane, and James. How are you guys doing today? I'm hungry. Doing good, doing good. Yeah. Everybody else is doing great and he's hungry. That's just the kind of the Why way that just it is starve? all the time. That's my secret cap. I'm no always hungry. No one would hungry. be sad. Just starve. <laughs> Don't it's, care. It's like, uh, what is it, Beauty and the Beast? I quote that scene all the time. Where they go, and I just quoted that the other day. It's a really quotable scene. Yeah, especially because I said it. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so, uh, the, the arcs. We've talked about them a little bit before when we talked about other Forerunner things because the Forerunners are basically the backbone of everything Halo, so it's kind of to be expected. Uh, the arcs, though, have, uh, uh, they don't really have that deep of a history and they don't have a lot to really talk about. So the, mo- the majority of this conversation, which I think you guys will be very much interested in, is how the arc seems to change over the course of the time that we see it in the games. So from Halo 3 to, I think we might see something about it in Halo 4 at some point, like a hologram, but then most importantly, we see it again in Halo Wars 2. Um, how the differences, how the changes kind of took place and how those things uh, differ, but also how it might have gotten better because the arc looks beautiful in Halo Wars 2. It does. But uh, so to get things kicked off, though, uh, we, of course, go in chronological order in these parts as best as I can possibly manage anyway. So the arc, uh, the arc was given is a name that was given to two Forerunner installations. So the first one being the greater arc and the next one being the lesser arc. Very creative. I am well aware. But uh, they're they're huge. Even the lesser one is freaking massive. Uh, Pretty much the arcs are a foundry that creates halos. Actually, in the center of the the arc is actually what's called the halo construction foundry. So we haven't seen which one have we seen? We've seen the lesser arc. Oh, and the greater arc is like way, way in the distance. <laughs> yeah, that also makes me wonder because before we were talking about the halos that were much bigger and they ended up changing because they were uh, too fragile. Um, yeah. Did the greater arc make those ones? Yes. Hey. It's actually kind of funny. The greater arc, uh, it was fine, worked just fine. It does the same stuff that the arc does. It's just 
I think like three times bigger than the lesser arc. Um, but the greater arc, well, well, actually, that would actually make sense because the greater arc developed 30,000 kilometer halos and the lesser arc developed 10,000 kilometer uh, halos. So if those numbers are anything to go off of, I guess it could be said that it was three times bigger. But the greater arc, it was sort of uh, an argued point to even have them uh, because the master builder and the other builders were determining that these arcs were necessary for actual like usage in war against the flood and all of that um because they had run into multiple multiple issues across their history with flood multiple encounters with humanity and other races that would attempt to try to dethrone them so to speak and they the the master builder couldn't really get anywhere with pretty much any of it uh it wasn't until let's see it took him about if i can say specific numbers here because i have them in front of me um the end of the human forerunner wars in 106445 bce so you know 100,645 bce um they the master builder started constructing the greater arc uh the greater arc then started developing 12 30,000 kilometer wide halos and the the builders basically took that time to try to refine how the halos would function how they would work this is how we got to the conversation before about the halos not originally coming with terrain and life on them they were originally designed just to be a giant metal ring that can destroy everything hmm. um and that was that was a major argued point for a while because life workers which I should note a couple weeks back, uh, episode seven, I think I said that some character was a life shaper. Life shaper is the librarian. Life workers are all of the other uh, forerunners that work under the life shaper. So that was a mistake on my part. That was a slip of the tongue, as they say. How dare you? But uh, the life workers were like, hey, no, you can't do that. The life in things. And so the builders like, we'll just. We'll just take the ideas from the shield worlds and just throw them onto our halos. Easy. There you go. <sighs> Stupid. That's... Did the arc now, always have like the environment and everything on it? Uh, supposedly, because the, there's uh, the the arc was. I mean, it was a giant machine, but it always had this ability to sort of hold life. I guess. Because there's nothing about their design ever changing. It's always been just they were operated on, they were constructed on, and that was pretty much the gist of it. Uh, why it would have life, why it would have terrain, I would assume was because of the arguments that were happening in the, the council, because the council was not on board with any of the things that were happening with the Ark. Um, it didn't, it wasn't until like 10,000 years after the Greater Ark was built when Master Builder became the senate <laughs> that uh i am the senate <laughs> that the greater arc actually was uh completed so in those 10,000 years who knows how many adjustments were made to the arc before it was completely finished but uh the life workers were they they made a pact basically that the the arc would be capable of supporting uh, essentially biospheres that would be able to hold multiple different kinds of animals, multiple different kinds of terrain, and thus taking away a little bit of the impact of, you know, galaxy deletion. <laughs> um, so the, the, the greater arc was finished, and unfortunately, uh, 30,000 kilometer halos are not very easy to move. They are, they're not very helpful in, in terms of anything. Uh, they are, they're overall just a hassle. So it wasn't any surprise when they were so easy to destroy and so easy to prevent from at least completely destroying the entirety of the foreigner empire when, uh, mendicant bias took over. Uh, but the, the, the arc had created 12 rings and aside from its creation, and 
it creating those 12 rings, there's not much else that's happened with it. It kind of just remained dormant because after the greater arc was developed and they realized that these halos were a little bit too unwieldy and the greater arc was simply incapable of creating smaller halos, they just developed a smaller arc so that it could develop smaller halos. Imagine uh, spending 10,000 years building the arc and being like, oop, it's too big, let's build another one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little rough, but it, it, the Forerunners, I mean, their concept of time is interesting because like, time moves at, at a normal pace, it seems, for them, but they talk about thousands of years like it was just a day. And it's very interesting how they perceive that. But, I just you know, told you that a thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So after that lesser arc was developed, uh, the the greater arc was used mostly as just, you know, it holds populations and stuff. So the uh, the forerunners, surviving forerunners, would use it as their last bastion. They would just kind of survive there. Uh, the librarian put the largest population of humans out of all of the various populations that she had under her control. Because there was a lot of different kinds of humans. Like different, I guess you could say breeds of some kind, but not quite. Like I said, there was the the one character, Riser, uh, who was a, I think, if I remember correctly, humans, normal, like us, we, we were the Hamanune. And then the smaller guys... Like Riser, who are just little dwarf dudes, uh, were the Chamanune. So the the fact that we had different classifications says that we either had different breeds or we were just there were just different classifications for different humans. But depending on where you were and what tribe you were with, your physical appearance was going to be slightly different. So the Greater Arc had the highest population of these humans, and the Erdidact which we had talked about before, OG Didact, Mr. Man who went insane and all of that. Well, he didn't really uh, appreciate humans being alive still, so uh, <laughs> yeah, that population of humans got uh, a little bit harvested and turned into knights. <laughs> yeah. Didact did some... Uh, the die do what the die did, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I hated everything about that. <laughs> You loved every second of it. You can't argue with that. Actually. Uh, actually. actually. So the the greater arc did eventually get destroyed, though. It's not just sitting out there. Uh, that was because of the flood. They, uh, they found it. And this was the interesting thing about the destruction, is that flood eventually got to the point where they had achieved transcendence, which... Transcendence, if you remember from our precursor episode, is what precursors are. They are capable of going beyond sentient. Like they understand the universe and the galaxy to a ridiculous degree that we can't even get close to understanding because, of course, they were once precursors. Uh, which there's a lot of theories out there about the fact that the flood, uh, well, not the flood, the precursors are very much not dead like if you are a transcendent being then what is death to you can you die if you're transcendent <laughs> if you feel like uh, it. there's some there there are some including uh installation zero zero who have said things along the lines of you know it's it's as simple as it feels as simple as just getting flicked like death is as simple as just breathing you it's nothing to you death doesn't mean how hold any meaning over a being who ha, who is transcendent so if the forerunners supposedly killed the precursors then the precursors would have had to make a selective choice to let them make these decisions which is what's kind of buying into the whole idea that the precursors are actively trying to punish and test the galaxy by this point but there's other arguments being made about the fact that the flood doesn't really make sense as a, a test or a punishment unless it's strictly scientific or strictly for a, some form of educational factor because it doesn't fit with the mantle of responsibility because the mantle of responsibility doesn't have anything about genocide the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> so 
it, those conversations are some of the most interesting out of all of them because the the precursors there's a good chance that the precursors are actually still alive to some degree in some form and say, we haven't actually experienced their final test i'd say that argument sort of applies to other things such as uh jersey i robot i've seen the memes okay so like the i haven't read the books i really should uh but sort of in the movie spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen that old movie is the um obviously they have artificial intelligence they have robots and stuff mm-hmm. and they give um they have the three laws which is uh a robot shall not uh harm a human being a robot shall not by uh inaction allow harm to come to a human being and then um a robot shall uh protect itself as long as it doesn't interfere with the other laws i think i messed up the second every law. single one of those or every single one of those laws were violated <laughs> every yeah. single one basically of them. and it was because yeah. the central ai that was uh like in charge of um automated uh travel and the other robots and stuff like that interpreted the rules interpreted the laws um to basically mean that it had to take over and stop humans from destroying themselves um and in doing so made sacri- decided that sacrifices were allowed to be made um in order to save people from destroying themselves uh and i'd say that sort of relates to what's going on with that because you're like you said there isn't anything in the mantle of responsibility that says genocide the galaxy but they have decided that kill everything is a viable option to uh, a viable alternative to allow the flood to kill everything. Dang, that's true. Uh, yeah, and I can see how those those th- two things interact. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm assuming that there. I haven't seen it, obviously. So with iRobot, was there any was there any moments where humans were like maybe we misunderstood the our own rules that we set out for these AI, and that yeah. caused our own downfall. Yes, um, I honestly need to watch it again because it's been a little while. But the detective uh, who is uncovering all this stuff, trying to figure out what's going on, um, is being led on a journey by the scientist, the dude who created the three laws, um, to realize that the three laws inevitably end up with the salute, the uh, reality they end up with. Um, so yes, that is basically exactly what happens. Well, that's kind of perfect because, uh, and I I do think this is very much related to the arcs, just because the arcs are, I mean, they were the the precipice of forerunners attempting to maintain the mantle, basically. So this is all on topic, dear listener. Um, poor David probably has no idea how these things interact. We'll explain <laughs> it. Don't worry. So, uh. Basically, the mantle of responsibility, just to just to recap on it, like what it is, because it is most certainly one of the most complicated and yet simplistic things that exist, because the mantle is somewhat unknown because we don't know what the precursors version of it is. We know what the forerunners believed it to be and their translation of it, but they couldn't do things like understand precursor. They weren't precursors. They couldn't understand such advanced beings. So they were basically translating what they had seen from the precursors and what they had known the precursors to believe as their creation. But the the mantle was basically that the most developed civilization would have control and the responsibility to protect all other life or just manage it. So it wasn't just like, you know, the Avengers, everyone deserves the same treatment, everyone gets saved. It's everyone gets fair treatment, and that means we will not step in on every issue, but we will step in if the fate of some larger thing is at stake. So conflict between different species, competition uh, of civilizations and stuff, as long as it didn't risk that, you know, the galaxy would be destroyed or 
it would risk the destruction of every other species in the galaxy, then the Forerunners wouldn't do anything about it. They would just simply try to keep them in line uh, so that no one ever tried to step up and take the Forerunners' place. <laughs> so it became a rather uh, selfish thing because the mantle became more than just maintain and protect the way the galaxy is. It became maintain and protect the Forerunners or else we're going to lose our place of power. So even though their culture and the way they handled their own councils and their own nations, even though it was all dictated by the mantle, it was still, it was still rough because interpretations could vary from place to place. And it gets, it gets too complicated for them. And even the librarian and the didact, both they they both have quotes. Um, that I have seen before, but Halopedia thankfully has them listed right here so I can read them out loud. Uh, the didact, his quote relating to the mantle is interesting. This quest to fulfill the mantle has haunted me my entire life. And for countless millennia, we have failed to realize the one truth that could have saved us from the beginning. The mantle isn't to be inherited by the noble. It is to be taken by the strong. So, mm. of course, that's a warrior's perspective, uh, which is accurate. You know, whoever is the strongest civilization should have the, the control and the necessary rights to protect the galaxy. That makes sense. But the librarian was adamantly against the mantle. She believed that it was the reason that the forerunners fell to the flood. So, quote from her, the mantle. You still hold to that belief after all that has happened, after this thing has consumed a million worlds. Can't you see? Belief in the mantle sealed our doom, weakened our protectorates, bred dependence and sloth. Our so-called guardianship has stripped those we would keep safe of any capacity for self-defense. Were we such noble guardians when we drew our line and abandoned billions to the parasite? So their self-interest in protecting themselves, because who's going to protect them if we can't protect ourselves? ended up just sacrificing the entire galaxy. This, that's something, like you were saying, that's up to interpretation and ends up getting sort of skewed and um, mm -hmm. just put into the wrong context, uh, especially with the amount of time that there is for the Forerunners. Because, uh, like, with my iRobot uh, example, like, that, that sort of stuff happened within a few years. But you take an idea like the Mantle and give that hundreds of thousands of years for people to interpret how they want. Um, it sort of makes me think it, uh, and also another reason it makes me think of this specifically is because like with the Ark and stuff like that, it has references to the Bible already. It's like uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. And so instead of seeing the mantle as a responsibility, like you were saying, like just something that the strongest civilization, like with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> the man, like the focus of keeping the mantle instead of the focus of fulfilling the mantle is what ruined them. Yeah. It's, and it's wild. Um, I kind of wish that there was a straight written version of the mantle that I was aware of. I, I don't think that there's ever been like supposedly the forerunners recite this mantle in in a couple different uh, contexts, like the different classes have their own special phrases that they use, uh, such as um, Halopedia makes a note specifically of these things called the 12 laws of making and moving, which is basically like a, a religious text. Uh, that is supposed to be like for the the holiest of this religion. They would pray the uh, for like pray of the mantle. They would use the mantle as a prayer. And it's like, but I want to know what they were praying. I want to know what the, <laughs> what the words are because yeah. the mantle this entire time we understand it. We know what it means. We know what it what its purpose is. But at no point do we actually know what it specifically textually is supposed to be saying 
So even though it's everywhere, like we we have the ready assumption that I brought up in a previous. I think I actually mentioned it in a terminals episode that there was a uh, there was a specific piece of what looked like code that was found in Halo three that a YouTuber found. And he noticed that that code was in other games and he would have passed it off as just coincidence reusing textures but then they showed back up again in halo infinite in, in these forerunner temple sort of things and they were on tablets being held by these giant statues and he's like okay well now i have to look at this a little deeper <laughs> and when he was looking through it his conclusion was that more than likely without understanding it completely because the forerunners weren't able to actually read the dialogue or read the text, it was the mantle. Like, it was the vi- the visual representation of the mantle that is used to mark holy sites or place of a religious importance. So, it being on Zeta Halo, very much would be a, a place of religious importance with the forerunners. It being on the Ark, on the map Sand Trap, that also matches. So, there's all these different things that are just so interesting when it comes to the mantle uh, that it, it kind of crosses over into everything, including how we look at the arcs, because the arc was pretty much the final step before they, uh, you know, said that the arc was, or said that the mantle was potentially the downfall of their own empire. Uh, the the arc, though, if we can take it back around to that, <laughs> uh, the the interesting thing about how the lesser arc was well let's actually go back to the greater arc because we still have we still have time to talk about that a little bit because it was destroyed but the manner in which it was destroyed was the interesting part going back to the transcendence thing the flood had gained their transcendence that's not good uh they had developed this thing called a key mind and the key mind as far as i'm aware the key mind has changed a couple times, maybe once or twice, on what it actually is. But the agreed upon, at least to my knowledge, agreed upon with Halo lore historians and such, is that the key mind is the planet sized grave mind, basically. Just a massive flood body that. It gains such intense awareness of itself and everything around it because of the constant in- invasion of sentience. It eventually just becomes transcendent, as powerful as a precursor, just incapable of creation. So, uh, key minds are terrifying, but more importantly, key minds were capable of taking control of star roads. So, before with precursors and stuff, we talked about the star roads. And star roads were basically the best way to get around the galaxy. They were developed by the precursors and they were basically, I quite honestly don't know how to, to quantify what a star road is or how it works. But as far as I can tell, it's basically near instantaneous travel across the galaxy. Did I already so, make the comparison to a Bifrost? Yes. Okay. Hey there, Halo fans. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with our friends right after these messages. But yeah, it's near instant. It, it's like you, you step in and it will take you wherever you need to go. The, and the, the star roads were built using central hubs. So it was like a giant space galaxy wide highway. Uh, a lot of them actually converged on Earth. So Earth had a lot of attention for that reason. Um, well, a couple of them did anyway. There was another human civilization that was much larger called Cherim Hakor, and that one had a lot of star roads. Um, but the thing about star roads uh, is that star roads are still neural physics constructs, and we talked about neural, phys- neural physics as well as a source for pretty much every single precursor weapon and creation, because uh, neural physics is just this incredibly complex form of designing using galactic materials basically just creating out of nothing and neural physics constructs 
uh, have the capacity to be very handy, but they also have the capacity to be very destructive. So the the flood figured that part out <laughs> and basically sent these star roads to the greater arc and completely decimated it. Uh, they they had pretty much ripped it apart using these star roads. Um, it was pretty much like the flood were able to use these star roads to travel super far, super fast, land wherever they wanted to go. And before you know it, your whole entire area is just flood. Um, there's also other things that happened with the star roads, such as like Mendicant Bias to control of one of the star or a lot of the star roads and used that to trap forerunners. So it's it, the star roads had such intense usability uh, and application to what the flood were trying to do. It made it basically impossible to do anything once the flood had actually gained control of the star roads. So it's it's rough, but the good news is star roads are probably gone completely because we'd brought up before neural physics that that's a thing that was used to develop the halo array. So the halo array being a neural physics weapon, you fire the neural physics weapon, it destroys all the other neural physics weapons. Mm. So everything else is gone. So the star roads are gone. The domain has been damaged. All of precursor constructs have been damaged or destroyed uh and it just kind of goes from there does that mean um, that other halos would be destroyed when one like oh, the halos would sort of self-destruct well not necessarily because they they utilize neural physics but they aren't made of neural physics hmm. so the energy that they're building up is technically a neural physics weapon but they can build up that energy just kind of on the fly they've already fired once and they still work so yeah that's true <laughs> <laughs> they uh they can just build up that energy uh if it was a literal shock wave well first of all there would be no planets so no galaxy whatsoever which would completely i mean we're already going against the mantle here but i'm talking like geneva convention against the mantle <laughs> <laughs> just just eviscerate planets why don't you um the halos thankfully aren't made of well maybe not thankfully but i guess thankfully to some degree aren't made of uh neural physics so if they were though they probably would have been much more destructive than they actually are uh but the good news is though is that the star roads are completely made out of that stuff and that and, and it is good because i mean star roads were those things that were like they were with neural physics they were able to weave between dimensions and stuff like that so like having anyone in control of those things is just a terrifying concept so with those things being so powerful it's that's the very one of the very few things that you can say oh good i'm so glad the ring's fired <laughs> mm. uh but the the arcs were very much outside of the range of the the halos firing so with the greater arc being destroyed and the lesser arc being very much out of contact like they purposely hid the lesser arc they made it so that the lesser arc was harder to find because i mean if they if the flood found the lesser arc then well that's not good so the arc was developed very similarly as the greater arc you know designed to be a habitable surface with a bunch of different spokes that looked kind of like a compass uh and then the foundry in the center that could develop halos and you know, replace destroyed ones on a dime, just rebuild them uh, because of the literal gorillions of sentinels <laughs> that were inside. Gorillions? Is that an actual number? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I learned something new. That was, as I said, that was also a question of mine. While I'm sitting here taking in information, that is the one thing that came to mind and the question I needed to ask if that was a real number. I'm disappointed. Yeah. Uh, Can you use real numbers next time, please? Okay, fine. Thank you. I don't know how many how many sentinels are on the uh, bajillions. Yeah, way too many. This is a major L that we do not have this information. <laughs> I'm sorry I couldn't bring you the exact number of sentinels that are currently on the, the arc. Although the number is smaller since what happened with Halo Wars 2, but not that not by much. <laughs> they can just be built though, so 
That is true. And and they do kind of just have access to an infinite amount of supplies because Not infinite. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Anyway, so <laughs> the 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 Sentinels construction uh, constructor Sentinels specifically have. I mean, they can just kind of develop out of nothing. They can take materials from stars. They can take materials from space dust. They can just kind of make stuff because Forerunner technology was kind of like that. Crazy space stones. <laughs> Man, we gotta watch that video again. I miss that. I watch it. Video. Once a month at least. Really? Yeah. It just pops up in my suggestion. You should, you should just, just give me a call it. and screen share and we can watch it together. Okay. Or just, you we know, whenever I'm back home. We can do it after I'll, I'll just, just, just tell me like when you're going to watch it and I promise you I'll just drive over, kick in your door, sorry, and then sit down. Okay. And, I miss the reference. Okay. Am I stupid? Yeah. Yeah. What video, what, what, what video are we talking about? Even crazier space tests. Oh, yeah, God. You wow. missed that. Another mental <laughs> flashbang. Yeah, I'm so stupid. <laughs> so, uh, the the arcs, or the arc, because the other one is gone. Oops, my bad. Uh, there are some there are some interesting things that happen with the arc because the arc is damaged, and there are a couple reasons for that. <laughs> uh, so first and foremost, uh. We we first of all know how the lesser arc was developed, and we know what it's currently capable of doing. Such as you know, it holds many different biomes. It contains the best mission in Halo Three: The Covenant, uh, <laughs> and it also, funny enough, uh, the only species that we know of that couldn't actually survive on its surface without uh, some form of protection is the grunts. Nice. Because of the fact that grunts can't breathe air. <laughs> uh, so the 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 arc didn't really have much going on in terms of like its contribution to the story of what had happened with the 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 flood forerunner war. Uh, aside from developing the new Halo array, uh, because once the arrays were fired, for example. Uh, which the array was fired from the Ark. That was cool. the Isodidact. We talked about him during the Didact episode. The Isodidact, born stellar, makes eternal lasting, his full name, whatever. <laughs> uh, he is the one who was who was talking to 343 about, hey, I'm going to do this. And he asked, if we remember from Comedy Evolved, he asked 343, uh, if you were me, would you do it? And... 343 confirmed I would so that doesn't surprise me at all well 343 wasn't crazy at the time and it really was just like I mean what else are you gonna do you've reached the the bottom of the barrel by this point there's nothing else you could possibly do to stop the flood spreading mm -hmm. so take out their food and this is all you can do that I mean it, it's it was rough it was a very difficult decision especially for the isodidact who did not have any of the corruption that had happened from communicating with the primordial because the prime talking to the primordial is a really bad idea just in general i mean we're <laughs> talking about a, a, the the being that pretty much conceptualized the idea of the logic plague and can also pretty much drive anybody insane by just talking to it uh and the didact talked to it multiple times <laughs> ah. so it, like the didact had many many different ways of going insane and he chose all of the above <laughs> <laughs> so having the isodidact, who was pretty much just calm, collected, OG didact before he decided to make all these decisions that really like it, you could call it self self-sacrifice, but some could probably also argue that it was just hubris to some degree. Um, the isodidact, clear, calm headed. I make jokes about this stuff all the time. It's like, you know, with a clear, calm mind, there was a nuke. But in this case, it really is the case. He, he with a clear, calm mind. He activated the rings and fired them and purged the galaxy of life. Uh, the good news is, though, after those rings were fired, it only took a couple minutes for offensive bias to defeat mendicant bias. Uh, it was just that easy. After everything had been wiped out, everything had been shut down, offensive bias had a perfect window to immediately subdue mendicant bias. So what that battle looked like, I don't particularly know all the details for. I'm 
currently still learning about that portion of the war uh, myself. But, you know, that's the best part about these sort of shows is that I have more incentive to get with the program a little faster. <laughs> Learn so, everything. Exactly. Uh, which, of course, isodidact going to the, the arc to get this done was a task in and of itself. We've already talked about that one with, you know, the librarian trying to buy isodidact time, the isodidact trying to save her. He ends up failing because the ships that he sent were destroyed by mendicant bias. Um, the forerunners deployed offensive bias that was uh, formerly in control of the greater arc um, to counter mendicant bias, which, you know, it's kind of funny that they sent offensive bias because it's just like, you destroyed my house. I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was basically just two AI fighting each other, which is always the coolest thing i think there's a couple of videos on that you can find about what that battle looked like because i mean you really do have two medarch level ai engaging in fleet warfare that i mean you've already gotten me from that point so i mean if you can find any videos on that i would highly recommend you go and look those up because it's fascinating battle but after everything was destroyed and everything was shut down offensive had that window and there goes mendicant we're safe good and that would kind of be it mendicant bias was entombed we talked about that before you know only one thought allowed to him atonement that whole thing mm -hmm. uh and isodidact well it's kind of funny actually he uh he had actually held a trial for mendicant before he was like you are sentenced to atonement <laughs> but uh with isodidact's story coming to a close and, you know, doing his whole thing in the Maythrillin, trying to revive what's left of the domain and all of that, protect it. The lesser arc is left dormant. It doesn't have anything to do. It just kind of chills there. But then it comes back in, I think you could arguably say to a lot of people, and I somewhat agree, the best game in the original trilogy, Halo 3. Where we get a portal to Earth that is just smack dab in like the somewhere in like the middle of Africa, uh, because the forerunners built it there in case humans ever wanted to go and check out the Ark. I guess <laughs> 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 there is a comic that talks about the the forerunners building that portal on Earth. Of course, it's in a book. It's not no comic. It's a comic. We're gonna forget and also, the, the like, second part of that is comic uh, book, but and also like what like I don't really know how you would fit that in unless you would just wanted it to be passing dialogue where someone's like it looks like the forerunners built this for but no this is like I mean it was that like a full or a thing. terminal the same way they throw in all the other information I mean, like that sure but the thing is is that this is way cooler because it actually shows an ancient human watching them build it so this, this portal I, is not I, a natural formation. <laughs> I'm much more down for that one personally, just because I love watching this ancient human watching them and giving commentary on what he's seeing through his ancient human eyes. Um, it looks really cool. It's a it's a really fun art style. If it was a Halo Four terminal, definitely would have preferred that. But this was during the time when terminals were basically all text all the time, so it probably wouldn't have worked as well. But I can understand the interest. Um, so the portal is brought online by Mister Truth himself. And when it's brought online, everyone's like, well, uh, did he just activate the ring? Uh, no, he opened a space bubble, sir. Okay, what? <laughs> and so fly through the, the portal, this giant purple bubble portal. Um, when they fly through it, they come out the other side. First of all, they're met by a massive brute fleet. Second of all, they are above this massive arc, this huge construction that they had never seen before. They likely had only heard of it one time because of the ending of Halo 2 where they were like, all the Halos are on standby and they are ready for remote activation. They're like, remote activation from here? It's like, no, the Ark. It's like, oh, the Ark. Oh, of course, the Ark. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, of course. So they go to the Ark and, you know, they outnumbered them three to one and it was an even fight. Uh, and the elites won because they're just better in every way, shape, or form. Uh, and the ground battle takes place. We go through the the whole shebang of, you know, making the arc go bang. <laughs> uh, which, 
it, it is t- important to note that Master Chief is a rather destructive soul, it seems, because uh, he destroyed, by this point, two different Halos. And now he's going to use that second Halo that he destroyed to damage the thing that makes the Halos. <laughs> he's, just, he's just, he's the personification of a human, in my, in my opinion. <laughs> just blows stuff up for the fun of it. Very American. Uh, very American, yes. So the uh, the the chief is, you know, he's down the wire. Johnson has been unfortunately, you know, boimed by three four three, and now it's down to chief taking out three four three, the flowing floating little eyeball. Um, which I'm gonna take just a sec to to ask this question. What what exactly did 343 Industries mean when they named their company after the primary villain of the original trilogy? Well, you see. <laughs> it's like it's a good real. name. I'm not I'm just really like, makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm just saying like hmm, I'm just foreshadowing. Like, Ultimate wouldn't foreshadowing. Been, wouldn't it have been like, you know, I would have done something like I don't, I don't anything else. <laughs> I would have done something like it. I literally anything. Don't worry, three, three. I, just, I, I think it's a good name. It's a cool name. It's great, but I'm still like Pish. it wasn't. It was not surprising in the slightest when Halo Four came out, and the immediate first joke that was made was, of course, the villains. The the villain of the original trilogy is making this game. For everyone that didn't like Halo Four, their first joke that they made was, "It's three four three guilty spark ruining the franchise." Yeah. If that they didn't out. like Halo Four. It's like you just made it way too easy to make fun of the 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 company name. These days, it's just you know, it's just three four three industries. What about them? Like, man, I don't know. It, it, maybe a a rename is in order. I don't think that that'd be too big of a leap. I don't know, man. <laughs> it keeps me up at night. I'm just saying. Listen, I didn't trust Time Warner Cable, but I love Spectrum. Okay, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I I'm just, just kidding. I love Time Time Warner Cable was was uh, the original name of Spectrum. Oh, did you not have Time Warner? No. What? We didn't watch TV. Oh, that would do it. Yeah. Well, Time Warner Cable was a very nice cable company that would uh, that was very nice and had, uh, I think, a very effective system. When I was a small child, I could record and rewatch episodes of Phineas and Ferb on the daily, so it was fantastic. Loved them. But then they people had a lot of complaints about how Time Warner handled things, I guess. And so they eventually just renamed and rebranded to Spectrum. And all of a sudden, they're, everyone loves them. It's like, <laughs> if it's that easy, I mean... I don't like your of, company. We're going to change our name. Oh, what a great company. <laughs> it's like, we don't like your company. That's the old me. This is the new me. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe that's what they need. I, You know, I would happily play a game... <laughs> made by Oni Industries. <laughs> True. <laughs> Wait. Oni's still... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, you get in there, get in there. Oh. Click, click. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound cooler, though. It does sound cooler. It does. I, I, would, I would take that. The Office of Naval Industries. I don't know. <laughs> the... <laughs> I love that. Back onto it. So... Uh, Master Chief, again, reasonably and calm mindedness, absolutely decimates the Halo ring in order to prevent the Ark from creating more, which, you know, good going on that one. It definitely worked. Um, preventing the flood from spreading and preventing the flood from essentially taking control of the one thing that could absolutely destroy the entirety of the galaxy. And in one fell swoop, wiped out the Covenant, wiped out the Flood, wiped out whatever humans were on the Ark, and <laughs> wiped out pretty much anything else that could have prevented or caused a problem. Uh, so good job to him. Your reward is being lost in space for four years. Uh, and, and Arbiter gets to enjoy hanging out on, uh, on Earth, going door to door, apologizing. <laughs> <laughs> That's still the best part of that episode. That was really funny. Uh, so. The the arc after that though had quite a few different things happen to it. Uh, a lot of this has to do with a lot of this has to do with Oni trying to understand what just happened, what it is that they're interacting with, because they you know they obviously would search the wreckage of whatever was in the impact zone, the you know ground zero of the arc, 
uh, to understand how the arc works, to understand how its foundry works, uh, to understand destroyed sentinels and other constructions that were just kind of scattered about in the wreckage. Um, this includes... I know I said I wouldn't talk about it, and I'm still not going to, but this includes the scrapped monitor that revealed itself to be 343 Guilty Spark after Master Chief bleamed him with a Spartan laser four times. Um, or three times. I can't... I think it's three. Anyway. Uh, the, the, the monitor... Uh, went out on his own little quest. That's a whole separate thing. I don't want to talk about 343 and Guilty Spark's story here because one, we're low on time, and two, his story is extensive and goes through like three different books and it's still being told as far as I'm aware. So I want to read those and then I'll talk about them. Uh, but point being, Oni now understands the arc pretty well and they established some pretty good research outposts that were designed to just understand what the arc was, how forerunner technology works, reverse engineer things. Uh, it it brought humanity to a pretty high level of technology. It was a major contribution towards the development of the Infinity, for example. Uh, a couple other things took place. Uh, we had Operation Farstorm, which basically in 2055, the arc had been partially restored, and uh, there was some form of I, I, I don't know if I can call it really a battle, but there were intact Halo rings that were still in the arc, basically. Uh, at least as far as I'm aware. I don't really know this story because this this story is from, I think it's... What is it? What is the book? It's... Uh, oh, I can't remember what the book name is. I'm, I apologize. I can't remember what the name of the book is, but it's it's got elites on the cover. And... A dino and stuff. But cool. I know it? No, probably not. Okay. You haven't read it. Um, but as, as far as I'm aware, uh, the, the precipice of the operation was, as far as I can tell, I'm not even going to try to summarize it based on my own knowledge because I don't know it well enough. So I am just going to real quick save me halopedia following the discovery of across the known halo arrays both the unsc and swords of sang helios decided that the best course of action was to go to what remained of installation 00 to manually try and stop the timer members of the group came from both factions involved including two sang Heli who had conducted operations on the installation and the uh the mission was to put into action rather abruptly the mission was put into action rather abruptly and earlier than planned when the Huragok drifts randomly, activated. <laughs> Gosh, I love the naming schemes of the Huragok. Activated Dropped randomly. It drifts randomly. Oh, drifts randomly. That's activated so the portal at Voy for the first time since the Battle of Earth in 2552. Almost immediately, a retriever sentinel, that's dangerous, emerged and began strip mining the area around the portal, forcing the UNSC Endeavor and accompanying small craft to engage it in combat. After this event, the UNSC task force met with met aboard the Mayhem, a ship, to discuss what to do next. The commander of the ship, Natho Srom, I'm going to say that, proceeded to kidnap the UNSC troops, believing that the more time wasted talking would mean less time to stop the activation of the Halo Array. Mayhem proceeded to enter the portal to travel to the Ark. So, I, 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 would, I guess that's the, the accurate way to put how that operation was put into action. Just a Huragok activated a portal to Voy, and I guess the rings were at risk of being activated again. So, uh, Hunters in the Dark, that's the book. Mm. That's that's what it is, Hunters in the Dark. I wanted to read it very much because it's got humans and elites going up against the Ark's creatures, uh, which, I mean, come on, that sounds awesome. Also, it has a Kodiak in it, so, and I like Kodiaks. They're from Halo Wars, too. They're, they're very gorgeous. I mean... I don't know if I like them more than the, uh, I mean, I guess I must because I can't even remember what the name of the vehicle was from Halo Wars 1, but it did the exact same thing. <laughs> what were the Kodiaks again? Kodiaks were those ones that you could deploy and they would fire a long range mortar shell. Um, there, there was another vehicle that did that exact same thing in Halo Wars 1, just more direct fire instead of a mortar shell. So like other than the, uh, Cobra. Okay. 
It's not the one I was thinking of. (laughs) No. The Cobra. So, uh, back on to the the lesser arc and its whole shtick that was going on. Um, The arc started to get repaired. Uh, This was sentinels and humans trying to put this whole thing back together because scientists were obviously very interested in ensuring that the arc survived. Um, The sentinels, their contribution to the whole thing was sealing off the crashed high charity that was just kind of resting in the middle where the, uh, the decimation happened. Um, this, or I don't know if it was in the middle, but it was somewhere close to the center. If it wasn't in the direct center, they locked it off though, because high charity is reasonably right now swarming with flood. So you don't want that to spread across the arc because that was the entire point of destroying them to begin with is preventing them from using the arcs. Uh, so, they they did that, and uh, that didn't really do well, because eventually some rather stupid brutes, <laughs> <laughs> eventually some rather stupid brutes unlocked that uh, that shield wall, and the flood was unleashed. As far as we're aware, though, Atriox got control of the situation because he's awesome, uh, and also did a really cool, you know, not looking catch and crush of a flood uh, infection form, which course everyone i think everyone should be very excited about it was cool atriox is just a really cool character and i want more of him um but ever since then there's really not been much uh there's been a couple of different things that have been mentioned when it comes to what the current arc is doing but uh last time it was really talked about was with the uh shadows of reach book where uh the the, the different brute factions were talking about it, discussing what was happening with it. Um, and in 2559, uh, there, that was when the whole operation happened with Reach and all that. Um, and ever since then, it's been sort of just more of a land grab because now we have the Spirit of Fire up against the entirety of the Banished uh there was some faction that joined up with them i don't recognize them so i'm going to assume that was either i just simply forgot from the book or it was from some other piece of media but something called uh ferrets Hmm. i'm i'm gonna assume it's not just literal ferrets uh i want but the spirit of fire to this day is still fighting as far as we're aware, there's been no update on what's going on on the arc, but last we saw it, it was a battleground, and that was pretty much all we could get out of it. Well, if so, only we had another major Halo game that could have, you know, carried on the story of the Spirit of Fire. Well, you know, it, it, it's it's definitely Halo a difficult Wars thing. Three. <laughs> it's definitely a difficult thing because the Spirit of Fire. Uh, I can I can understand where people would want the Spirit of Fire to remain as a. You know, let's keep it as a Halo Wars thing. Let's not include it too much in what we currently have. But in the same way, it's like, eh, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool to see them. I love Captain Cutter as a character. also, considering the main main villains of Halo Infinite are are the banished, it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I definitely think they should have brought in Spirit Fire. Yeah, because what I know is that with Halo Infinite, it was a separate... It was a different fleet that went to Zeta Halo, and the there was still a fleet fighting Spirit of Fire on the Ark. The Spirit of Fire had not gained control of the Ark. Like, they controlled some of it, because that's what we saw at the end of Halo Wars 2. But they were still fighting the both by this point. Uh, I don't know if... Actually, I don't know if they're fighting the Flood. I don't know if they really can control that situation, so I'm not going to say that. But they are still fighting the Banished. So the Banished are fighting on two fronts now. They're fighting on Zeta Halo and they're fighting on the Ark. Um, last thing, by the way, just as a little capstone on the whole mantle of responsibility thing that we talked about, the last faction that we know of that had control of it were the created. Cortana declared that she had gained control of the mantle. So she Which decided makes sense. they were the most advanced civilization. She didn't decide. She was. <laughs> <laughs> she is the most advanced civilization. I mean, every all of the human AI, a bunch, not all of it, but like a lot of human AI, a lot of Covenant AI that were just kind of doing their own thing. 
uh, they all joined up. Artificial intelligences across the galaxy signed on to the created. And they also had control of the Forerunner Guardians. And, I mean, they were capable of destroying entire planets. They had the whole galaxy at gunpoint. So it's not really surprising that she would just be like, no, this is mine. <laughs> and now there's a broken one sitting on the ring in Halo Infinite. Only we knew what happened with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we'll see at some point, you know. Maybe. But uh, that's, that's going to kind of wrap it up for the arcs, though. Um, and we're probably going to have to just move over to our after show because we are very low on time. So if you want to see what we're talking about, what we're going to be doing, uh, talking about stuff, because we have some exciting things coming up that uh, you guys are going to want to know about, you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash jumperscape. You can also join our Discord to talk to us directly at discord.gg forward slash jumperscape. We hope to see you there. Uh, we're probably going to talk about the arcs a little bit more in the after show today, but we'll see what comes up. Uh, gentlemen, would you like to say goodbye to dear uh, Sandra? No, goodbye, I want to say goodbye to Samuel. Okay, so these other two guys were willing to do what I asked. You went against my, my request. Right? Yes. Okay, that's fine. Good. I guess. Better be. See you next week! The library was produced and published by Jumperscape Audio. Funding was provided by our fantastic patrons on Patreon. Big thanks to Dark Salad 42 and Connor Clark. If you enjoy the show and wish to support Jumperscape's future projects or get some sweet benefits, join our Patreon at patreon.com jumperscape or become part of this truly special community at discord.gg jumperscape. Thank you for your listenership, and we hope you enjoyed.